get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome, everybody. Another edition TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050. I'm Andy McNamara on Twitter at AndyMC81, the show at TSN Analytics. Great program for you today. Travis Yost from TSN.ca stops by in just a moment. James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto. In about 15 minutes' time, some NHL fantasy hockey talk and tips from NHL.com fantasy hockey writer James Harding. And then writer for Hockey Graphs and The Athletic, Sean Tierney, to wrap up the show. And you know what? Let's get right to Travis Yost here. And he's brought to you by Three Brewers. Check out a location in the GTA near you. You got the Heartland in Mississauga, Oakville, Liberty Village, Adelaide, Young Street. They are all over the place. And for the Three Brewers, you can book your office, holiday, or family celebration. Great spot for that. Great spot to watch the game. Three Brewers, great beer, great food, great time. And our great guest, Travis Yost. Travis, how are you? Great guest. Might have not been in the uh, notes on that, on that little bit there. I'm not, I think you editorialized a little bit there. That is true. That is true. Now, Travis, i got to start with this, sir. At Travis Yost, you know, we, we love you for your hockey takes, but your food takes are possibly more controversial. You tweeted out you hate breakfast. You hate breakfast. And, and, and also included in that tweet is you hate bacon. Explain yourself, please. I just I every time I get up in the morning, it's like all right, when am I eating lunch? I there's no like good breakfast meal. I feel like most people just eat breakfast to progress three hours so they can get a sandwich or something nice for lunch. I, I just I don't know. I don't think eggs are that good. I don't like bacon. There's a lot of crappy breakfast meals <laughs> that I think people choke down and pretend are good because they put a pound of ketchup or a pound of syrup on whatever they're eating. That that's. That does not qualify as good food. As, you know what I like? This might be a dark horse for you. Now, you need real maple syrup, like not this, not the uh, other junky stuff, but the real maple syrup on oatmeal. One-minute oatmeal, you no, toast that up, no, it's beautiful. No, no, I'm going to vote that out as well. Wow. Oatmeal is not good. So You're I a monster. Strike You're a monster. All right. Hey, you know what? Okay. <laughs> we'll have to agree or disagree on that, Travis, on breakfast. Tweet Travis at Travis Yost. Do you hate breakfast? Do you love breakfast? Hot food takes from our guy Travis. Okay, let's get serious. People in Toronto, they didn't get too worked up over this, but it was definitely a point of discussion. Mike Babcock pulled Frederick Anderson at 3.14 left on the clock, down by one in that loss to Pittsburgh. Some of the people questioning the move on Twitter often getting the response, hey, the analytics back up a move like that. Can you explain why pulling a goalie a little bit earlier than the traditional, you know, one minute, one and a half minutes, makes sense? Yeah, I, this is, uh, I would argue that this is one of the biggest areas that uh, hockey analytics have had a big impact here. Uh, if you go back as early as five years ago, if teams were down a goal, they'd pull with roughly a minute left. And down two goals, they'd pull with roughly 130, 140 left. Uh, the last two years, demonstrably the last two years, and especially in 2018, 2019, we have seen coaches effectively pull their goalies a minute or more, more than the, than the historical norm. So year to, year to date in 2018, 2019, uh, coaches are getting goalies out down one with about two and a half minutes left. And down by two or more goals, you're seeing three minutes plus or right around that three-minute mark. Uh, long story short, I mean, the, the logic really is intuitive to anyone if you, th- if you kind of think about it for a minute. There's no points, regardless if you win by, lose by a goal, lose by two goals, lose by 100 goals. You do precisely the same exact thing in the standings. 
And since time increasingly becomes your enemy late in the game, at every second you have to calculate the odds of tying the game with an extra attacker versus the odds of setting yourself back an additional goal, in the, uh, you know, falling if you're down one, falling down two or down three, uh, or not scoring at all. And unfortunately, uh, what, what, what teams had not realized until recently is that the added probability of tying the game with the extra attacker on, uh, we weren't maximizing the value of that because we were waiting way too long to get the goalies out. So you're seeing now, you know, the Toronto example is a great one. Mike Babcock did that. But actually, the best example is probably Carolina. Carolina has pulled a goalie down a goal twice this year with about two and a half, three minutes left in the game. And twice they have equalized. And I believe they went on to win both of those games in the overtime slash shootout. Uh, That's real and that's tangible. And people can sink their teeth into it. And I don't want to be an absolutist uh, to say that, you know, you need to score to prove out the theory. But, but it is always encouraging that, you know, when teams are rewarded for, I think, making the right decision. Carolina has been very aggressive. They've already added at least two, if not three points in the standings by that logic. And we've seen other teams around the league getting getting incredibly aggressive. Did you? I, I don't know if you caught this one. About a week and a half ago, Montgomery and Dallas down two goals, pulled the goalie with 7.48 left in the Jeez. game. Now, I modeled <laughs> this out. That is actually early, even by what the data people want. But I, I do have to give them credit. Like we, we are seeing a full-blown revolution around the league, I think, where I would say the vast majority of teams in the league are pulling their goalie almost a full minute earlier than they would have even two years ago. Uh, add that to the four forward one defenseman power play structure that that data has driven into the league as well, and I think those are probably the two biggest changes we've seen in recent years. Well, Travis, you look, and this is the perfect blend of analytics and old school hockey that we've been talking about for the last five seasons on this show. You don't get more old school than Babcock, but he saw those numbers from the analytics department with the Maple Leafs, made sense to him, right? And you make that equation from, okay, these are the numbers, this is why it's relevant, and try it out, and this is how it works, and it's it's league-wide. So it is, again, that continuation of the, the analytics thought with the old school blending. Yeah, and, and actually, uh, you know, we, we talk about other leagues a lot on the show, mostly because uh, the other the other big three leagues are generally a little bit further ahead in terms of where uh, sports analytics are. But the NFL is kind of the same way if you think about it, right? There going has been two. such a culture shift in going for it now on fourth and short versus historically just a few years ago. Most teams punt in those situations. Uh, you know, we saw the Philadelphia Eagles win a Super Bowl by effectively saying fourth and one, fourth and two, almost irrespective of where we are on the field, we are going to go yeah. for it because the intrinsic value of converting the first down and the risk associated with that almost always outweighs punting the ball and playing defense uh, with, with a guaranteed change of possession. So, you know, we're, we're seeing these types of changes around the league, you know, small ball in the NBA. Yeah, this type of stuff is hitting each sport. It's just in their own little niche. Yeah, and, and also in the NFL going for two-point conversions, that's way up as, yeah, as well. Pittsburgh. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Uh, Travis, one team you've pointed out on Twitter that has you rather confused this year is the Calgary Flames. I feel like we've had this conversation a bit last year, but what is it about the Flames this time around that has you confused? And, and do you think they'll be able to take advantage of a Pacific division that looks somewhat mediocre right now? Well, that's a little bit kind to that Pacific division. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, I think San Jose and Vegas are still clearly the two best teams in that division. But you know, you look at like who's at the top of that standings, and it's like Anaheim, Vancouver. Uh, I, you know, the, the the shot 
if you actually look at shot differentials in the Pacific Division, I looked at this yesterday, you have the number one, number three, number four, and number six teams in the Pacific, and you also have 22, 23, 30, and 31 also in the division. So it is, it is a total mess. It makes no sense. Uh, but, but to your question about Calgary, um, I have the widest range of opinions watching them game in and game out, and it's not so much quantitative as it is you know, my, my feel for what this team is. I, I love their forward depth. I think they have the type of rec- the requisite type of playmakers in their forward group. Johnny Gaudreau has been fantastic for now, it feels like, two and a half years. Uh, he, he's such a wondrous offensive playmaker. He's the type of guy you build around and win with. Uh, and, and defensively, they even, even post-Dougie Hamilton trade, they have two solid defensive pairings, and you're kind of looking at the components of this team, and you're like, oh, there's a lot of talent here. And yet it doesn't seem like they can stitch together consistent performances on a week-to-week basis, whether, you know, maybe even game-to-game. Uh, some of that, I, I think, is uh, the, the one area I really struggle with, and it was the same thing last year, is goaltending. I, I do not have a lot of confidence in Mike Smith. It seems like his results are all over the place. And I, I, I don't think you can exclusively put it on him because, again, getting back to the, the individual performance, especially within the team, some nights they look great defensively. They're playing almost exclusively in the offensive zone. They're cycling around the board. They're getting into the dirty areas near the opposition goaltender. And then other nights they cannot get through the neutral. They're, they're consistently bottled up. They're, they're consistently hemmed into their defensive zone. And they are not, in my opinion, they are not a very structurally sound defensive team when they are bottled up back there, which compound that with the fact that I don't have a lot of confidence in their goaltending either. You run into a lot of these issues. I think Nashville took advantage of it big time last night. So again, like you know, you you see the talent in the roster, and then when they're on, Calgary looks fantastic. But on their off nights, they look abysmal. And I, I when I say they are the most confusing, I have like the widest range of opinion on them than any other team in the league. Sometimes I feel like they're going to finish sixth in the division with seventy four points, and then other times I'm like, yeah, they could easily be in the top two in the Pacific. Yeah, it's it's totally all over the place. Last one for you here, Travis. How about the Metro Division? The old Metropolitan, early logjam, Hurricanes, Devils, Blue Jackets, Penguins, Capitals. Do you feel like a team like Carolina or New Jersey has a real shot at playing spoiler and taking a top three spot in the Metro by the time everything is said and done? Yes. I mean, especially if you're going to group them together. That That's, you know, like this stuff compounds, right? So yeah. I think Carolina's for real. Uh, so long as their goaltending, and I feel like we've been saying this for three years as uh-huh. well, so long as Carolina gets average goaltending, they are a playoff team. Now, that is a big question mark. I, I don't know that they can get average goaltending for a full season. But, again, if they do, they are out shooting teams almost 60-40 to 40 on a night-to-night basis. I mean, even if you're shooting 5 or 6% at 5-on-5, you're going to win the majority of those games because the volume is so advantageous. New Jersey, I, I don't know how much more you could say about Taylor Hall and the younger players they put around him. But when you consider the fact that both of those teams, even if you are bearish on each of them individually to make the playoffs, as a group, Carolina and New Jersey, you figure that one of them, at least one of the two, have a chance to bite into that top three, top four group. And if that is the case, if that happens, that is a major problem for some of these other teams in the division. It's like, you start going through. I mean, three teams, only three teams are guaranteed from each division, and then you've got to fight for the other two wild card spots. So, again, just, just pick any two teams. Let's say, it's, let's say Carolina gets in, and let's say it's Pittsburgh and Washington. Great. So now what are we talking about? Now we're talking about Columbus is fighting into a wild card spot. You know, you start, Philadelphia is fighting into a wild card spot. There's a lot of teams that are starting to be looking at this, and they're saying, huh, 
the window isn't nearly as open as I thought uh, in this division. So again, I think it would be uh, a big, a big curveball and a big change of plans for that division if both Carolina and New Jersey stay up at the top Boy. half of the division because there's just not enough room to get these teams into the playoffs. The max you can carry is five. Uh, out of a division, and that's assuming you get both wild cards, and that's that's a big assumption this early in the season. Early season drama, gotta love it. And I remind folks at Travis Yost, send him your hot takes on if you're a bacon lover or hater. <laughs> Hate bacon, Travis. Good stuff as always, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, bud. There he goes, Travis Yost, and all his terrific work, of course. TSN.ca. That's a given. Follow him for the hockey takes. Stay for the breakfast takes at Travis Yost. We'll be up next. James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto, joins me next on TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to the point. Matthews left wing side. Shooting! Scores! Tavares at center across the line. Here's a nice rush for the lease in front of the for Riley. And Morgan Riley on a great pass from Marner. You know, we've done some good things uh, to execute offensively. I think no question we'd like to keep a few more out of our net. But, uh, um, you know, it's always nice to kind of get off to that start uh, the way we have. But we know it's a long season and there's always ebbs and flows. John Tavares of the Maple Leafs as we uh, keep going here. TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050. I'm Andy McNamara. On Twitter, follow the show at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. If you miss any of the show, you can get it on iTunes, you can get it on iHeartRadio, the TSN1050.ca show page, and of course, on Twitter and Instagram. So all over the place. And let me welcome back in for Season 5, he's a day oneer, James Myrtle, Editor-in-Chief of The Athletic Toronto. James, welcome back, buddy. How are you? Season 5, wow, that's... uh... Just keep rolling on, don't we? Th- think about like at the first season. Like each of us have had like another kid, right? Like it's like, <laughs> life has changed a lot in those five years. And the Leafs are good. We're not and the Leafs about are good. Yeah, we're not talking about what's wrong with the Leafs. Although we might, we might a little bit, I guess. Well, the one thing that's that's kind of wrong, although they're doing well overall, is that there's no new contract for William Nylander. We know GM Kyle Dubas was in Switzerland meeting with him, but. It, what do you feel about this situation? Where where these negotiations are going? Where they should go with Nylander? Well, I, I, they have to get a deal done. You know I, what I wrote about this week is I, it looks like it's heading towards them just signing a bridge deal just so that they can get William Nylander back in the lineup and start to repair the relationship that they've got there. They, they've got to get some kind of a contract signed. And I remember saying, I think it was about a month ago, saying that the worst case scenario for the Leafs here was was a bridge deal. That I was wrong. That that's not true. The worst case scenario is either not getting him signed or having to trade William Nylander or him not not being in a Maple Leafs uniform this season. That's the worst case scenario. So, if the Leafs have to go the bridge deal route, hopefully they can get a three year or a four year deal. Um, and 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 then you worry about what the next contract's going to be when you get to that point. But I think that it, it's to the point where it looks like they're not going to be able to sign, uh, uh, be able to agree on a long term contract. So. You go with a shorter-term deal, uh, and for William Nylander, that, that puts him in a situation where he needs to, to, to earn that third contract. Right, and it worked for Nazem Kadri over a couple times, right? Eventually, it, it worked It worked out. So It's worked for lots of players. You know, yeah. P.K. Subban, Nikita Kucherov. I mean, there's been lots of guys that have gone in with that bridge deal and earned a, a big third contract, and I don't have any doubt in my mind that Nylander would do the same. 
James Leaf's power play unit tops in the league by a significant margin. Nine of the 20 Leaf goals this year have been scored with the man advantage. How heavily do you think Toronto will rely on their special teams as a source of offense throughout this year? Yeah, I think that I think that it's fair that they're probably going to be the best power player, the second best. I mean, last year they were the second best power play team behind Pittsburgh. This year, I could certainly see them finishing first. Uh, they converted on twenty five percent of of their power plays last year. Could be even higher this year with with John Tavares in, in the role that he's in, and just the firepower that they've got. And when William Nylander gets back, I think that he's going to really boost that second unit too. So, you don't want to have nine of your forty five goals. You don't want to have almost fifty percent of your offense coming from the power play. But it's absolutely going to be a big part of of the goals that they score this year. In conversation with James Myrtle, editor in chief of the Athletic Toronto on Twitter at Myrtle. Okay, James Austin Matthews. He hasn't scored in two straight games. We're pushing the panic <laughs> button, right? It, it, it's after that great start. We knew there'd be some some cooling down, but uh, he's been he's been amazing to watch so far this early in the season. Talk of the league as an individual. Uh, what what's the most notable difference you've seen in Matthews this year compared to last? His skating looks very very good. I mean, we could see in training camp that he was just um, more dynamic. I think when he has the puck and. I think that, that that's part of why he's been able to open up as many good shots as he has early on this year. So he's, he's still a young guy, you know, 21 years old. You know, we're seeing Austin Matthews just progress year after year after year. And, you know, I think that he can be a Hart Trophy candidate. I think he can win a Rocket Richard, and he can potentially do that this season in, in his third year in the NHL. So you talk about the second contract for William Melander. Leafs are going to have a, a, a tough time keeping that that second contract for Austin Matthews in a reasonable place if he has as big a year this year as it looks like he's going to. Well, we go to the other side. I mentioned Nazem Kadri and that bridge deal working for him overall, but tough start to the year for for old Kadri. Zero goals, two assists in the last five games. Why do you feel he started in a slump this season? I just think that that line hasn't been working, whether it's been Josh Levo there or, or Lindholm now there. Just, they've been fine defensively. They've been fine in terms of controlling play and possession and things like that. They just haven't been a very dynamic line offensively. And you look at all the, the power play success. It's all been running through other players. Whereas the last two years, Kadri generated a lot of offense on the power play. He's been kind of just the extra guy on the power play unit. And it's been Austin Matthews or Tavares or Mitch Marner or even Morgan Riley uh, piling up points on the power play. I think that that's going to change. I mean, you know, Kadri. I think Kadri's looked fine. I mean, I don't think he's playing poorly. I just think that the line that he's been on hasn't worked. Uh, they were hoping for more from Andreas Janssen. Uh, they were hoping, obviously, that William Nylander would be in the lineup, mm-hmm. and then that would shuffle things around and probably give Kadri a better line mate than he's got right now. Um, and then, you know, Mike Babcock said all the way along that that third line he really feels like is a work in progress, and that's something that's hurt Kadri for sure. And, and you mentioned Nylander there. If he was there from the start, do you think? I, I think we'd see... A much diff- maybe not much different because of all the, the top scoring power, but is Nylander's absence, you think, a, a really big contributor to Nazem's slow start? Well, yeah, it would balance things out yeah. a little bit. I mean, even if you put Nylander back with Matthews, then all of a sudden it frees you up to have, you know, it could be Marlowe drops down and plays with Kadri again, or it could be that Kapanen comes down and plays with Kadri, and, and you know, Kapanen's obviously looks like he's going to take the next step this year. It just gives them more options, and the tough thing is that Andreas Janssen just 
hasn't looked like the way we thought he was going to. He came in last year in that nine-game audition, and the way he played in the playoffs, it looked like he was really going to be a, a top-nine forward, and he hasn't been that so far. So that's another thing that's kind of worked against the Leafs generating more offensive even strength this year. And last one for you here, James. Frederick Anderson has been dealing with a bit of a knee issue this week. Is this something that do you feel will continue to affect him into Saturday night's game versus the Blues? I don't think so. I mean, he, I thought he played pretty well yeah. against Pittsburgh, aside from, you know, obviously the one goal he would like to have back that, that Malkin got there on, on the short side. But, no, it was. he said it was a minor thing that he tweaked in the game against Washington uh, and his knee swole, swollen up a little bit. And, uh, you know, he got the couple of days off, and he says he's ready to go. So I don't think it's going to be a factor tonight. And Garrett Sparks, overall thoughts, right? Like, I think going into the year, we had talked during the summer about it, that you want to reward your players in the minors for doing well, right? Calder Cup, goalie of the year, et cetera. Like he was, he, it made sense to make that next step. Uh, are you comfortable with Garrett Sparks in that backup role for this season compared to the other two options? Yeah, I think that it was the right choice. And I know that people are, are doubting it because, you know, Curtis McElhinney he's played well for Carolina and Calvin Pickard's been starting games for Philadelphia and getting some wins. But I think it was the right choice. And I think that with a, still a relatively young goalie, you got to give Garrett Sparks, you got to give him at least a half season yeah. to get settled and to get used to the NHL. And I think that he's going to be fine. There aren't very many goalies at how young of an age he has been that have put up the kind of numbers he has in the NHL. Um, so I, I think he's going to be fine, and I think that you know Leafs fans just need to give him a chance. Good stuff, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Andy. All right, James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto on Twitter, at Myrtle. We'll step aside, get some NHL fantasy hockey talk and some tips to get you ready for your league games this weekend, for DFS, whatever the case might be. NHL.com fantasy hockey writer James Harding joins me next right here on TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Andy McNamara with you on Twitter at AndyMC81. Instagram at AndyMC Sports. Get the show too. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics. We'll have the show posted there if you miss it. Also on iTunes, iHeartRadio app, all that good stuff. Well, it is that time of the week, folks. Let's get you some help for your fantasy hockey team, whether it's season long, DFS, whatever. I bring in James Harding from NHL.com, their terrific fantasy hockey writer. James, let's get right into things here. And this has the NHL season still very young, creeping along. So let's start with stock up and let's go forward. Give me a stock up forward and we'll go through the positions there. Stock up right now, my, my stock up forward for, for uh, the first couple of weeks of the season, Thomas Tatar from the Montreal Canadiens came over kind of as a, as a throw-in in the Pacioretty deal. And uh, what what a just breakout to the to the season he's had so far. Three-game point streak right now, points in four of his first five games, three goals, five assists, two power play points, 21 shots on goal, six hits. So he's getting great category coverage. Uh, skating on the first line there with Phil Deneau and Brendan Gallagher, and he's on the first power play unit there as well with Gallagher, uh, 
Max Domi, Jonathan Drouin, and, and Jeff Petrie. So a uh, huge, huge stock-up guy right there. And I think just where that team is right now in the transition period they are, he's going to get a chance to really be a top-six forward for the majority of the season. So I, I really like Thomas Tatar going forward. So that's forward. What about defense for a stock-up? And then we'll circle back with the stock-downs. Yeah, yeah, and uh, defense, I like Hampus Lindholm right now out in Anaheim, what he's doing. Uh, he's got seven points in seven games right now, uh, two goals and five assists. All have come on his current five-game point streak. Uh, he's playing on the first pair there uh, with uh, Brandon Montour at even strength, and then he's with Montour again uh, on the second power play unit. But, again, great category coverage kind of similar to what we saw with Tatar. He's got two goals, five assists, two of the points coming on the power play, uh, 12 shots on goal, and eight hits. So, you know, a, a guy like Lindholm, who's kind of a middle-of-the-pack defenseman right now, but really starting to produce, really getting a chance out there. And you want to talk about a very underrated team that a lot of people going into the season in the first week or two of the season with all the injuries that they've had weren't really expecting the, the start that they've gotten from the Ducks right now, and Lindholm has been their best defenseman both offensively and defensively. I think that's a great, nice, a little bit under-the-radar pickup, too. I like that a lot. Goaltender, who's your stock up for the weekend? Yeah, stock up goaltender right now. I'm looking at New Jersey. Look at Keith Kincaid and what he's done to open the season right now. Uh, He is the top-ranked goaltender right now in Yahoo Standard Leagues. Uh, when, when you factor in that he's 4-1-0, and uh, a 1.61 goals against average, a 9.41 save percentage. He had a career season last year thanks to the injuries of uh, Corey Schneider. Schneider is still on IR with a hip issue. He's kind of day-to-day right now, and they, he might be back in the next few weeks, which will probably cut a little bit into Kincaid's playing time. But when you look at what Kincaid did last season and the fact that he's just built off of it coming into this season right now, uh, he's a huge stock up. And he's only 68% owned in Yahoo League. So that needs to really get higher. Uh, So if he's available in your Yahoo League right now, go pick him up because even when Schneider comes back, we don't know how effective he's going to be. And it seems like the Devils are pretty content with keeping Kincaid in net until he cools down or until Schneider gets in and starts playing well and proves them otherwise. Oh, yeah, you got to keep riding the hot hand, 4-1-0. Now, what about if we're looking at Daly and your DraftKings contest here, James, versus the Flyers in Philly? Is that a play on Daly, on DFS, that you would pop in? Absolutely. I, I, I'm rolling this guy right now. I know he had a shaky outing in, in his fifth start the other night, but I, I'm rolling him un, until he gives me a reason not to. Just keep rolling. All right. So that was stock up. Now stock down. Let's start from the top again. Forward. Somebody who is on the decline, in your opinion. Yeah, and, and it's a little bit of a, of a shocker here, but I'm going with Steven Stamkos. Oh. Uh, you know, he only has two points right now in five games. He just scored his first goal of the season the other night. He's been broken up from Nikita Kucherov. Um, He's still uh, running the point on their first power play unit, but he's skating now with Yanni Gordon, Brandon Point, uh, or Braden Point, I should say, and he's moved back to the right wing, which has always been a spot of contention with him. He's kind of always seemed a little bit more natural as as a center and seems to statistically always put up better numbers as a center. So the shift back to the right wing, 
broke it up from Kucherov right now. Um, preseason going in, he was 18th-ranked fantasy player, and right now he's outside the top 250 two weeks into the year. Wow. I don't expect it to uh, to continue. That team is too good around him for him to not be productive, but it's it's a sign of concern right now dating back towards the tail end of last regular season. No, he had a great playoffs last year. I think he had 16 points in 17 games. But he went into the playoffs last year without scoring a point in his final four games of the regular season, and now he's struggling out of the gate again. So there are some issues there that I would be a little wary about with Stamkos. That's right, and this is where the strategy comes in for your season-long fantasy league. You're obviously keeping Stamkos, but on your DraftKings lineup, you can stay away from him until he, he gives you a reason to go back to him, right? Absolutely, yeah, especially with normally where he's priced just because of the name value. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In conversation with James Harding from NHL.com, their terrific fantasy hockey writer on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. All right, a stock down on defense. Uh, Aaron Eckblad from the Panthers, when you kind of look at the offense that they have around him in their top six with guys like Nick Bukestad and Alexander Barkov, Evgeny Dadnov, Mike Hoffman, Jonathan Huberdeau, that's a loaded top six. And for him to be skating on their first pair, he has only zero, he had, doesn't have a point, so he's zero points, only seven shots on goal, does have seven hits uh, through four games right now, but... 87% owned to have that kind of ownership level and that level of production uh, be as low as it is with that kind of an offense. Uh, and he, he definitely has seen a drop-off in offense uh, consistently since his rookie season. So Aaron Eckblad definitely scares me a little bit. If, if I'm staying away from him for sure in DFS, in season-long leagues, I'm not really sold on him just yet until I really see an outburst. Keep an eye on Ekblad stock down. Okay, final stock down, goaltender. Yeah, and this one I'm going to Columbus for Sergei Bobrovsky. And, you know, this isn't something that uh, anybody wants to see for a guy like that, as good as he is, multiple-time Vesna winner. He's in a contract year, so he's not doing himself any favors just yet. But when you look at his numbers, giving up three goals or more in three of his four starts, including eight goals against on 31 shots last weekend, against Tampa Bay, uh, a 4.04 goals against and an 875 save percentage. So his contract uncertainty has definitely led to uh, uh, the, the Blue Jackets and John Tortorella hinting that he's going to be in more of a timeshare going forward this season with Eunice Corpusalo there so that they can kind of see what Corp has to offer them long term, especially with the feeling that Borowski might not be back. So his Fantasy value right now is definitely taking a hit because of his early season form and the fact that he might be closer to a timeshare than the normal workhorse Ooh. goalie that fantasy owners have been used to for him over the last couple of years. Yeah, and that, that's disappointing because, again, sometimes when you're drafting, the name value, the name, oh, yeah, yeah, Bobrovsky, he's always good, comes up, and then you take him, and then if there's a timeshare, it's like, ooh, yeah, you got to keep an eye out for, uh, for that. So that's stock up. Stock down. Now, there's 13 games, James, on the Saturday slate of NHL matchups. So when you're looking at your DFS or DraftKings lineup, can you give me a sleeper or two that you like to slide into your Saturday DraftKings contest? Yeah, yeah. I, I like Tyler Johnson this week from Tampa Bay going back there. He is now playing with Nikita Kucherov and Andre Palazzo. John Cooper reformed the triplets line last weekend. He has five points, three goals, two assists, and 11 shots on goal since the reformation of that line. So 
definitely over the last year or two, we've seen a little bit of a drop in his confidence and his production. Being back with Kucherov and Palat seems to have sparked the three of them a little bit more. So I like Tyler Johnson and kind of a deep sleeper uh, on defense from the Islanders is Scott Mayfield. Hmm. Uh, the Islanders coming off of that drubbing of the Kings on Thursday night, uh, 7-2. to Mayfield has five points so far in four games that he's been in this season with three shots on goal and seven hits. He's progressively seeing more ice time. He was over 20 minutes in the game against the Kings the other night where he had three assists and one shot on goal. So as a real deep sleeper on defense, probably somebody who will cost you maybe less than 3000 but certainly uh, under 3500 I like Scott Mayfield just as a flyer against the, the Sharks. Why not? I love that, James, because with a guy like Mayfield, where I, I always fall into this when I'm setting my NHL DraftKings lineup, there'll be that last spot, and you're like, oh, man. And you're just, like, waving the flag if it's, like, a guy who's in the 3,000 mark or less or right around there. So Mayfield, I'm I'm going to be locking him into my lineup this week, buddy. That's that's a good call. I like that. I like that. All right, my friend. Well, that, that'll do it. Uh, people can find your work at NHL dot com on twitter any nhl fantasy questions hit him up at j harding underscore hockey and we'll look forward to reading all your fine work this week appreciate it brother thanks there he goes james harding fantasy writer for nhl.com we'll wrap up the show next with sean tierney writes for hockey graphs for the athletic toronto for the athletic chicago puts out his twitter I'll, I'll plug his twitter right now at charting hockey the charts and info that sean provides is next level we're going to get into that with him and a whole lot more next as we wrap up tsn hockey analytics on tsn 1050 get the meaning behind the numbers and more this is tsn hockey analytics on tsn 1050 the voice of hockey Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050 Toronto on Twitter. The show at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. If you miss any of the program, we're going to put it up on Twitter, again, at TSN Analytics, on iTunes, on the show page as well, on TSN1050.ca. So if you missed anything, got you totally covered. Very happy to bring on my next guest. One of my favorite guys. He works for, works and writes for Hockey Graphs, The Athletic TO, The Athletic Chicago. He might write for somewhere else. It's Sean Tierney. Sean, how's it going, buddy? Doing really well. It's been a busy start to the season. Lots of stuff to uh, dig into already. Just trying to keep up with all the stuff that's happening again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, man, you're... The chart work, like you are a must follow for hockey fans. It's at charting hockey. I love your stuff because it can be like rabbit hole stuff. You know, like when you watch YouTube and stuff like that, it's like you look at one chart. Well, okay, what did that mean? And then you go into another one. It's just like a a really good flow. So your content is awesome. So I know our listeners really appreciate it too. So thanks for all that. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I I think for me, the data that places like Corsica put out, there's just so much out there, yeah. and I'm a real visual person, and so being able to kind of dig through in a visual way has been key for me, and hopefully uh, it's handy for my followers, too. Absolutely. Well, let's get right into it. Some of the early trends here in the NHL season, and we have uh, John Gibson's hot start in between the pipes for Anaheim, despite the Ducks' poor play. Take me through what you think of uh, of the goaltender there. Yeah, I mean, John Gibson is kind of setting the world on fire the way he's been playing so far. Um, as Anaheim tends to do, their shot share has been just horrific this year. So they've got 
the league's worst uh, Corsi against shot attempts against rate. They're giving up a ton. They're not generating very much for, uh, and they're giving up really quality chances too. And so at a place like Corsica, we measure that in expected goals against, and they're giving up almost three at even strength per game, which is, you know, really atrocious. Despite all that, John Gibson has been just killing it. So uh, a stat that I really like for goalies is the goals saved above average. And right now, Gibson's total is about nine goals saved above what an average goalie would facing the same workload. So, you know, breaking that down over the games that he's played so far, he's saving about two goals per 60 minutes at even strength above what just an average NHL netminder would do. It kind of boggles the mind to think he's saving maybe two goals a game in a league where, you know, a win is three or four goals a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, Another stat that I love for him so far is, uh, again, using Corsica data, we know that based on the workload he's facing, he should have about a 91% save percentage so far at even strength. Instead, he's posted a 96.3 at even strength going into uh, the games this weekend. And so he's just, you know, he's really sort of mind-blowing in the way that he's exceeded expectations. And he did this last year, too, so it's becoming kind of a theme for Gibson that, and maybe something that, you know, even though Anaheim lets him get just hung out to dry, it might be something he can keep up because he's done it before. Well, we saw that in a similar sense when Carey Price was on fire a couple of years ago, right, and really dragged along the rest of the Montreal Canadiens, and it was pretty much all because of him, right? Yeah, and I mean, Anaheim clearly is willing to play that philosophy as well, which is you know, we have a star goalie and maybe we're not, you know, so organized up front or our defense pairs, but, you know, a strong goalie can be the biggest impact on your chance of winning in this league, and and Gibson might well drag the Ducks back into the playoffs, whether they deserve it or not. Right. (laughs) Let's move to Morgan Riley with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Red hot start to the year. Three goals, 10 assists, 13 points. Now held pointless in his last two as they get ready to take on St. Louis. But talk to me a little bit about Morgan Riley's start and the sustainability of it. Yeah, and I think, you know, no one's looking at Morgan Riley, and, and there were sort of those records of Bobby Orr's that he was right, challenging right. or setting at first. And, you know, no one in their, you know, best uh, best conscience would say Morgan Riley is actually a Bobby Orr comparable. <laughs> uh, but some of the early season stats, you know, really did kind of back up what he was doing. Uh, one stat that we like is expected goals for percentage. So, you know, what's their control of the really quality chances when they're on the ice? And, Morgan Riley was overperforming when he was on the ice, but he was still at an XGF percentage of about 55, which is really, really good. Um, and then his high time on ice, he's been playing a ton, but he's also had a well above average points per 60 rate uh, amongst defensemen too. If he were to keep up even just what he's been doing at even strength, um, it would be reasonable for him to get to a 40-point season out of just his even strength play. If you add on another 10, 12, 15 power play points, something like that, you know, he's kind of looking at a season not so different from what he put up last hmm. year. But the numbers that are underlying what he's doing so far, you know, they don't support uh, an absolute game-changing, era-defining defenseman. I'm not sure if anybody really expected that from him. But, but for me, the real interesting thing is that Riley, some of his underlying work, you know, does support what he was doing at even strength. And so, you know, I think for Leafs fans, you need to be excited that Morgan Riley hasn't always been touted maybe as that number one kind of defenseman. But... The production he's putting up, if he keeps it up, he's going to wind up in that territory probably again this season. And the thing we have to remember, it seems like Morgan Riley's been around forever. He's still young, 
right? Like he's yeah. still under 25 yeah. years old. And defensemen, typically the real good ones, you don't see them really, really hit their prime and their stride until their late 20s, unless you got somebody really special. So to see Riley on this sort of trend has to be positive for Leaf fans. Yeah, I think the aging curve stuff we have from war research and all that sort of thing shows that a defenseman should probably peak around 24, 25, and then plateau for the next maybe three, four seasons up until their age 28 or age 29 season. So, like you said, Riley's just kind of coming into his own. If this is the level that he's going to sort of set for himself and maintain, you know, he probably is a top 30 or at least a top 40 defenseman in the NHL, but but probably, you know, top 30. And once you're up in that stratosphere, you're talking number one defenseman. It might be Riley. Yeah, you sure are. Let's keep in the Atlantic Division here. And the Ottawa Senators, Sean, and if we were looking at the offseason, a lot of people, if you were to use two words to describe the Senators, it might be something like a hot mess. That that might be appropriate. But they've started 3-2-1. They've won a couple in the row, uh, in a row. Wow. What do you think of, of Ottawa's start? And, and really surprising people, even at the 3-2-1 record. Yeah, so I think Ottawa's funny. Anytime you're riding a goalie like Craig Anderson, there's that funny theory that goes around about him having his off-year, on-year, off-year sort of trajectory. And so, in a way, maybe you go into the season expecting that on-year, and a good goalie can make a big difference. The real thing that's sort of been a surprise of the Senators is that they've gotten good contributions from a number of the names that joined the starting lineup that weren't very heralded going into the off-season or coming into the season. Now, Kachuk and Formenton being hurt, that isn't a great thing right now, and that might take a little wind out of the sail, especially Kachuk. But the Senators are kind of doing some things underlying stats-wise that look good. They have a, a slight advantage in their expected goals rate, where they're generating more than they're allowing. Uh, their shooting percentage is league high right now, and we don't expect that's not the kind of thing you sustain, but it's something that's there and happening for them right now. Even that, they have a 56% goals for percentage, which is strong. Their expectation would be about a 51, which is still really good. And then Shabbat, DeMello, and Lajois on defense for them, they're all just killing it with really above average point rates per 60. So, I don't, there's little things kind of all over the lineup. The guys they brought in have looked good. I would never recommend the trade package that they got for Carlton. <laughs> those guys have been useful so far. So, I mean, if you're a Sense fan, you kind of went in expecting, you know, that floating dumpster fire going by, <laughs> but it hasn't really been that so far. And, and, you know, maybe they can kind of pluck along a little better than we thought they would. Yeah, could be. In conversation with Sean Tierney, he writes for Hockey Graphs, The Athletic Toronto, The Athletic Chicago, must follow on Twitter, at Charting Hockey. So, Sean, let's go into some some big-picture early-season storylines here. Best trio in the NHL. That was getting swatted around the TSN uh, hockey panels and stuff like that with Craig Button and, and company. Best trio in the NHL. And let's focus on the Maple Leafs, the Bruins, the Stars, and the Jets. When you look at the top forward lines from those teams, and if, hey, if there's somebody, another team you like to throw in there instead, feel free. But out of out of that group, what is the best trio, do you think, right now in the National Hockey League? So for me, being the sort of stats nerd that I am, I always am trying to look past just the, the points and the yes. goals and the assists and see you know, which, which players are really driving the play. And the names that you sort of threw out, I think the Radulov, Ben, Sagan, Lyon, Dallas, they were really productive in the past, and they're really productive early on this season, too. They've got a really strong Corsi floor rate, and they're really suppressing chances against. They're strong. You know that the Bergeron line in Boston is always going to be one of the top lines, and that's been the case so far this year, too. Uh, the Leafs lines, 
there's sort of a, an interesting Twitter debate going on lately and, and in hockey circles that the Leafs, although they're really winning right now, they're kind of a break-even team in terms of the things under the hood that they're doing. And uh, when I look at line combo shot rates, which is a, a graph I like to update sort of daily or every couple of days, that bears out there too. The, the Tavares, Marner, Hyman line, uh, they're just sort of trading chances. They give up about 60 shot attempts per 60, and they generate about 60. The Matthews line is actually losing the shot share battle where they're giving up uh, almost 10 shots more per 60 than they generate. So the Leafs, for me, aren't really in that conversation in a way, which is funny, but you know, anytime you've got Austin Matthews shooting the light there as he is, you don't need very many courses before they <laughs> add up into something tangible. Uh, whenever I'm thinking best line combos, uh, there's a couple teams that stand out, and it really surprises me so far. Carolina's got two lines that would rate as the best, uh, giving up about 30 shot attempts per 60 and generating about 70. So the Stahl, Williams, and Warren Fogel line, and then the Savechnikov line with Martin Nuke and Walmart, those two lines in Carolina are the best two lines in hockey if you're concerned about you know, managing the puck and, and generating attempts while suppressing them again. They've been killing it. The other line, and this one surprises me too, is the Gallagher-Dano-Tatar line in Montreal. And I would have bet against Montreal having, you know, anything like a useful start to the season and any productive lines. But, you know, in the early going, that Gallagher line has been just dominant too. So you know, these aren't the traditional line combos you might think is the strongest ones in the NHL. But in terms of controlling the flow of the puck, it's been them so far. Very interesting stuff. Well, Sean, let's do this again real soon, man. We can talk for, for the entire show. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter again, at Charting Hockey. Check out these graphs. I know you put a lot of work into it, so we really appreciate that, man. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, I can't wait. Thanks for having me on. There he goes, Sean Tierney, again on Twitter, at Charting Hockey. Writes for Hockey Graphs, Athletic Toronto, Athletic Chicago. Great information there. That'll do it, folks. Wow, another show in the books. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter. We'll have the show link there as well as on iTunes at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. So for producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050.